Amen. To God be the glory. Thank you, uh, Sister Eliza and Pastor Abel for singing for God's glory tonight. And uh, I love the, the message of that song. I love living in love for Jesus. And uh, you know, we always say we can love the Lord because He first loved us, isn't it? In First John chapter 4, verse 19. And uh, I'm glad that word is still there. <laughs> Because I believe uh, it's, it's God's love that keeps the, word, uh, the world uh, turning around, isn't it? It's not money, isn't it? But it's God's love and His mercy and power and His grace. And you know what? Um, this is God's love letter to, to men and to believers, the Bible, uh, the Scripture. Because the Bible also says, uh, Matthew 4, 4, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeded out of uh, God's mouth and we thank God for the revelation God's um, will and plan and purpose can be found by reading understanding God's will in our lives through the Bible through the scripture that's why our church is a Bible believing church amen and thank you for being here tonight uh, on a Friday night it's um, a little bit cold and thank God for the strength and the opportunity to um, study God's Word together, and we will continue our studies uh, every Friday joint Bible study about the 26 of uh, the Bible. It's like uh, a brief uh, summary of the whole Bible from Genesis to Revelation in a jet view, you know, it's like a zoom kind of view. And we know we can study the Bible in, in different, many, many ways. There's like verse by verse, or topical book by book, but uh, this is what we chose so we can be uh, given a, a simple uh, understanding of the whole Bible. Uh, in our Faith Bible Institute, it's the chronological study of the Bible, the ten C's, ten steps. Uh, Answering Genesis has their seven C's, or uh, some approach it by studying um, the, the covenants or dispensations, but for us, we are almost halfway. So there we go. We started with creation, uh, the first three uh, chapters of the book of Genesis, where we get our origin, uh, the reason why God created this world, the origin of men, uh, the fall of sin, and everything that we need to know to uh, understand what, where we came from, what's the purpose of our lives, and what is our future. Where we going to head after this life, and it's all written in the Bible. And there's corruption, uh, the induction of sin, cataclysm, uh, the great flood, the confusion in the Tower of Babel, the call of Abraham, the castaways, the camp uh, during the children of Israel, children of Israel in the wilderness, the conquest through Joshua, and then the kingdoms, the crown, and then because of the disobedience of Israel, there in captivity for uh, 70 years in Babylon and other nations conquered them and then they were allowed to come back to their land through the times of Nehemiah and Zerubbabel to rebuild the walls and the temple and that's all Old Testament and then we came to the conception of Christ the incarnation of Christ his virgin birth that had happened 2,000 years ago and then we went to the cross, I think, a couple of months ago. So today we're going to go to the church. The church. And uh, time permitting, we'll uh, have a study with this. And then, of course, later on we'll do the rest, uh, 
like being caught caught away and and the rest all the way to uh, eternity so uh, we'll have uh, a brief study tonight and let's bow our heads for a word of prayer let's ask the lord to bless our time together tonight okay let's pray father in heaven we thank thee so much lord for uh, this beautiful evening and for the opportunity to uh, study your word uh, for this bible study time uh, we know lord that when uh, two or three are gathered in the name of jesus we know, Lord, that you are in our midst because you promised that to all of us. Thank you, Lord, for the freedom of religion and the opportunity to come together uh, to worship you in spirit and in truth. Thank you for the opportunity to rejoice in thy goodness and faithfulness in our lives. We thank you, Lord, for our eternal salvation and eternal security in Jesus, that we are saved, we are forgiven of our sins, we have a home in heaven and we escape the judgment of our sin into that everlasting punishment in hell because of what Christ had done for us on the cross of Calvary thank you Lord that he gave his life he shed his blood for the atonement of our sins for the payment of our sins because we know through your word that we can never save ourselves because we are sinners before you and sin has to be punished by a righteous and a holy God but we thank you, Lord, for your Son, who voluntarily came down from heaven into this world to die on that cross. And not that he just paid for our, our sins on the cross, but he wrought righteousness in our behalf. He lived a perfect life and obeyed all the commandments that we can ever obey. And that when we trust him as our Lord and Savior, when we accept him in our heart and life as our Savior, you also give that righteousness upon us. So you can, we can be accepted into heaven and you've sent off forgiven our sins and cast it into thy sea of forgetfulness and forget about it as far as, as the east is from the west. Lord, thank you so much for this wonderful blessing and thank you, Lord, that we can rejoice in thy love, in our salvation that we have in Jesus. So we pray, Lord, if there's any person in this room tonight who's not sure of their eternal destiny, I pray, Lord, that you will speak into their hearts and their minds that they will really understand the urgency, the need that they have to trust Christ and Him alone as their Lord and personal Savior. Because you said in your word, there is no name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved only through the name of Jesus. Because He is the only way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father except through Him. So we thank you, Lord, for this gift of eternal life through your Son and the gift of learning more about you through your word and through this church. So bless us, O Father, and forgive us from our sins, and help me, Lord, to be able to be a blessing to thy people tonight. And also we'd like to thank you for the life of um, our dear sister here, for, for Eliza, for giving her another year. I pray, Father, that she will continue to desire to know you and serve you and be a channel blessing to her parents and to her relatives and friends and that she will prioritize you, O Lord, in her life, that whatever she is going to do, that she'll pray for your wisdom and instruction and strength. And this is our prayer also for all our young people, for each and every one of us, Lord, that we will continue to call upon your name and we will serve you with the things that you had given to us, our time and, and talent and treasure and our testimonies, O Lord. So we pray that you just uh, keep us safe tonight and bless your word. 
in our midst, for we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we're going to study about the church. The church simply means uh, uh, an assembly. You know, uh, church can be used um, in the Bible in many different ways. Even in the Old Testament, there's what we call the church in the wilderness. During the time of Moses, there was an assembly. Uh, there was an assembly uh, of people who also persecuted uh, the church of God during the times of the apostles in the book of Acts. But predominantly in the New Testament, the church is uh, the Greek word ecclesia. It's a local assembly. It's not just speaks of a building when it comes to the church, but the church is comprised of all the saved believers, born again believers who had trusted Christ as the Lord and personal Savior, who had believed the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. That's the church. Everyone who had uh, committed their lives to Jesus as their Lord and personal Savior. But there is also uh, a church, a local assembly like this, Bergen Bible Baptist Church, that's a called-out assembly of born-again baptized believers who would like to follow the Lord and do His bidding. So our first verse that we can see is Hebrews chapter one let's turn our bibles there hebrews chapter 1 verses 1 to 3 probably i'll just introduce the lesson tonight about the church and we'll have a review of this wonderful way of understanding the bible and i hope you have your bibles with you and we have an acronym of the bible b-i-b-l-e isn't it and we know we cannot find the word bible in our bibles isn't it but the word scriptures are there isn't it precepts or uh what the Bible says, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. And we cannot find the word Trinity in the Bible, isn't it? But we believe in the truth of the Trinity. That we believe in one God in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. The essential truth is there. The concept is there. So let's read Hebrews chapter 1 verses um, 1 to 2. The Bible says, God who at sundry times, sundry times or many portions in diverse manners or many ways spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets had in these last days spoken unto us by his son and in your bible is capital s isn't it so that speaks of jesus christ he had spoken to us these last days the last days started in the incarnation of christ when christ came into this world so biblically speaking we can have only 6,000 human history upon this world, all right? So if you want to do a brief summary of human history from Adam all the way to Jesus Christ is 4,000 years. And from Christ until right now is 6,000 years, 2,000 years, isn't it? We always hear that. So we remember in the Bible, the Bible says, a day with the Lord is 1,000 years and a day, uh, 1,000 years is like a day in the Lord. So if God created the world in seven literal days, of course, six literal days, in the seventh day he hallowed it, he rested. So some Bible scholars are saying human history is also around 7,000 years. So we're like 6,000 now, and the last thousand is the millennial reign of Christ, isn't it? After the rapture, the great tribulation, and then the millennial reign of Christ, and then there's eternity when Christ uh, will create a new heaven and a new earth. So... Uh, Probably that could happen, so we're already in the last days since Christ came. But we can say with everything that's happening right now, excuse me, we are in the latter end of the last days, isn't it? 
as we study about end time prophecy. So he had, to, had spoken to us in diverse manners in sundry times by, uh, unto the fathers by the prophets, had in last days spoken unto us by his son whom he had appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. So that speaks of Jesus Christ as creator God. Amen? He is divine. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Bible says in John chapter 1, verse 1. The word there, capital W, is the Greek word logos. Jesus Christ is the alphabet of God. He is the full knowledge of who God is. Would like to, if man would like to know about God who created us, we can know Him through His only begotten Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, God has spoken to us through the prophets, through angels, through dreams, through visions, through poetry, through um, events and circumstances, direct. But the greatest revelation of who God is, is through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why we have those wonderful books called the Gospel. So, uh, there is what we call dispensation in the Bible, all right? Dispensation, because if you look at Ephesians chapter 3, verse 2, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 2, to understand uh, the Bible before we go to the concept of the church, the Bible says, If you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which is given to me, uh, which is given me to you, Ward. This is Apostle Paul um, quoting this verse of Scripture. After uh, the cross, uh, in our 20s comes the dispensation of grace or the church age. So dispensation simply means uh, 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 a time period. It's way, the way God deals with men on a certain group or a certain time period. Okay? So in the Bible, we can find in our King James Bible the four, four uh, verses according uh, lead to dispensation. So let's turn to 1 Corinthians 9.17. Okay, let's go back. 1 Corinthians 9.17. For I do this thing willingly, I have reward. I have a reward, but if I, against my will, a dispensation of the gospel is committed unto me. This is Apostle Paul speaking. There is a dispensation of the gospel committed to him. Then Ephesians 1.10, Ephesians 1.10, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him. There is a coming a time that God will fulfill what he had promised to all men, especially uh, to the elect, to the people of God. All right, there's another one that we just read, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 2, talking about the dispensation of grace. Then Colossians 1, 25, Colossians 1, 25. Whereof I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. All right? And the Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, it's not in the slide, to study, to show ourselves approved unto God, a workman that needed not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. We need to rightly divide the word of God. So it will avoid, you know, confusion, isn't it? We will avoid uh, a seemingly contradiction because there's no really contradiction in the Bible. And when we rightly divide the Word of God, you know, uh, it helps us avoid confusion. It helps us to know the Bible. 
It will explain all supposed contradictions, show you future prophecy, give us hope of the soon return of Jesus Christ. Because the past it speaks of history in the Bible. And the future speaks of prophecy, but the present speaks of doctrines or teaching that we can know about the Word of God, the Bible, if we rightly divide, if we believe in dispensation. So uh, dispensation simply means a time period. In the Bible, it is a specific period of time during which God administers His rule over the world in certain way. And over the years, God has dealt with men differently in different time periods. But you may ask, but I thought God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Isn't it? As Hebrews 13 verse 8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Malachi chapter 3 verse 6 declares, the Lord changes not. But how come he deals with a, a, a group of people and a, sp a specific period of time in different ways? Yes, God never changes when it's talking about his character and nature. Amen? For instance, God will always be, eternally be holy, righteous, and just. That is his character. Amen? And his nature. He will always be that way. But he deals with men in different ways over the ages. His message has always been the same. But his methods change. And so should ours, by the way. So we, we hear this um, saying, the Bible is written to us, but not all for us. We need to differentiate if it is written for the Jews, for the church, or a certain period of time, because we cannot apply everything that we read in the Bible to us right now. Amen? So a big danger in Bible interpretation is that of lifting out of Scripture a verse where God does something and saying, there's how God always handles that. He does not necessarily. For instance, we have a few examples here. Contrast these two texts of Scripture. Luke chapter 10, verse 2 to 4. Luke chapter 10, verse 2 to 4. Uh, therefore said he unto them, The harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. Truly, the harvest is still plenteous today. Amen? There's, there's like almost 8 billion people in the world right now. And uh, there's three main religions when it speaks about believing in one God, isn't it? There is uh, what we call Islam, uh, Judaism, and what's so-called Christianity, isn't it? That comprise of all the evangelicals, so to speak. But still, they're only comprised of how many billion? But the rest of the world is still strangers to the gospel of Christ. Isn't it? The harvest is truly plenteous. We need more missionaries. We need more witness. Amen? For the Lord. And we are all missionaries here. Amen? We all are ambassadors of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are all having the message of hope. And tonight, I tell you, there is hope in Christ Jesus. Amen? We have a problem in this world. This is called the sin problem. The Bible says in Romans 3.10, there is none righteous, no, not one. Romans 3.23 declares, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23 also declares, For the wages of sin is death. Not just physical death, but the most, you know, scariest death of all is spiritual death. Being separated from God who created us. Sin did that. It separated us. We are sinful 
by nature and by choice. We all had committed lies, isn't it, in our lives. That makes us a sinner. And only God can receive a person who is perfect, but we all fall short of the standard of God. You might be the most obedient person, the most philanthropist kind of person, the most religious person, but the Bible says, same truth with Nicodemus, who's a Pharisee, who's a doctor of the law, who obeyed all, who tried to obey all the 613 commandments and laws and ordinances. But when Christ said, you know, you must be born again. He still needs to be saved. He has to have a new birth, a birth from above. And the only way you can go to heaven is not through religion, through any relic that you believe, through any ritual, but it's only through a relationship with Jesus. Because if a man can be saved, can be forgiven, can be accepted by God through his own good works, there's no more reason for God the Father to send his son to die the most painful, excruciating, shameful kind of death. And, you know, and suffer hell for us on the cross if man is able to save himself. But there's no other way. Amen? And I'm glad Christ did it all the way through. He went to Calvary, he shed his blood because the life of the flesh is in the blood and Christ has to shed his blood so he has to pay the penalty of your sin. Because you know what? God, yes, is love, but he cannot just love men and just ignore his sin. He cannot sweep it under the rug, okay? Because he will contradict his own nature. He is still just and righteous. Sin has to be paid for. But aren't you glad Jesus Christ paid for your sin and my sin? On the cross. So for you to go to heaven, my friend, my dear brother and sister in the Lord, if you haven't made this decision, is to call upon Jesus. Ask him to save you. There will come a point in your life you should understand your loss and sinful condition. You know, and you need to repent of your sin, ask for forgiveness, and receive that free gift of eternal life. Because the Bible says in uh, uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works lest any man should boast. All you need to do is to call upon Jesus, ask him to save you, and he will save you today. Amen? And you will have that eternal life. So look at that verse of scripture. The harvest truly is planters, the laborers are few. And he said in verse 3, go your ways. Behold, I send you forth as lamb among wolves. Carry neither purse nor script nor shoes and salute no man. By the way, this is Christ's instruction to his disciples. But 12 chapters afterwards, there's a change. Luke 22, verse 35 to 36, And he said unto them, When I sent you without purse and script and shoes, lucky anything? And they said nothing. Verse 36, Then said he unto them, But now he that had a purse, let him take it. Luke chapter 12, Carry no purse. Trust me, I will provide your needs. But right now, a different time setting, he said, Now carry a purse, take it, likewise his script, and he that had no sword, let him sell his garment and buy one. So there was a change. Isn't it we see also in the gospel, if you offend a brother or a sister in the Lord, it's better for you to hang a meal in your neck and throw yourself in the sea, or your, your hand has to be cut. Do we have to take that literally? You know, if somebody offends you? No, we can't. No, but that speaks to the time when Christ will come and rule and reign in his millennial reign, that it will be ruled with a rod of iron, that, you know, it's peace and prosperity, and there's a moral compass during that time, 
And if you offend some of those little ones, it's better for you to hang yourself with a millstone. All right? So it's a different time period. Another example, in four times in the book of Acts, you see speaking in tongues. That's over a 30-year period. But is that normal Christian experience right now? That was a specific dispensation and God worked in a certain way at that time. In this case, we're in the book of Acts, which was a transitional time period, a bridge to the church age, but not the way the church age would always be. It is not a basis for New Testament church doctrine. All right, so that's why we believe in dispensations, a time period. So to ease us in studying the word of God, to know who is this written for, uh, when it was written, to it was addressed, the primary interpretation. Maybe there's a, a spiritual application, you know, but we should know where it is written for, what's the uh, uh, context of that passage of scripture and dispensation helps us in doing that. So here, quickly, one thing that all dispensations have in common, God gives man a responsibility, man fails to fulfill his responsibility, then God's judgment comes. So we'll go quickly to, uh, some only believe in like three dispensation. It's like the, the patriarchal, uh, then mosaic or law, and then the new covenant or Christian dispensation. dispensation. Some even believe in 37, but for me, I believe in seven or eight to you know, summarize Bible uh, history. So we'll go through this before we go through, our, uh, through the church, uh, time permitting. First dispensation, time period where God deals with men. Just a review is the dispensation of innocence or the pre-fall, the Edenic part. We can find it in Genesis chapter 1, verse 28 to 30, chapter 2, verse 15 to 17. All right, we know the main characters here are Adam and Eve, isn't it? They were created perfectly innocent in a perfect garden. God gave them work to dress the garden and to enjoy all the garden has to offer them. Perfect fellowship with God, walk with Him in the cool of the day. Adam was given, you know, the task. He is the first biologist, zoologist, taxonomist. He named all the animals, isn't it? And uh, before uh, he was alone and God said he, it's not good for man to be alone. So the first surgery that had happened is Adam sleeping and he took one of the ribs and formed Eve. That's why woman is called, uh, Eve is called the mother of all living. All right, he was a helpmate and they were happy until God gave them that only one commandment. Thou shalt not eat of this forbidden fruit. Every fruit that's very good and enjoyable, you can eat it. Because you know what? In a perfect world, God has to create man with his own free will. God did not create Adam and Eve like robots. Like, you might think like, yeah, we might not be in this disaster of sin and curse of sin and, and hardship. Why, why did God have to test them? Why did he have to put a, a tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the Garden of Eden? Because you know what? God wants man to love him and obey him with a free will with volition, with a choice. It's not dict dictatorial or forced love because real love, true love is what we call reciprocal love. You are given love, you return it, and you share it, isn't it? So in a perfect world, God gave man the freedom of choice. Either he will obey him and trust him that he knows what's best, but we know the story, the serpent came, tempted Eve, and 
she fell into temptation, take the bite, and gi also give it to Adam. So they lost their innocence. They saw that they were naked. They hide themselves uh, from God. So fig leaves that represents man's good works, but their innocence had lost. What was their responsibility? To abstain from for the freedom fruit, man failed, then judgment came. They were kicked out of the garden because of sin. Now they were separated. But you know what? Genesis 3.15 was there. God's love, mercy, and grace was there. When man fell into sin, when God pronounced the curse, the judgment, Adam will have to, you know, sweat in the brow of his face to provide for his people, for his family, for his children. Eve has to have pain in childbearing. The serpent has to crawl from the ground and eat dust, and there will be a dread or fear, you know. And, and what had happened? Huh? They were taken out of the garden because God is also merciful to them. Because if they're able to eat of the tree of life, they'll be in their physical state condition and they will be irredeemable. So God in his mercy has to banish them, put an angel with a revolving sword, you know, to ban them out from, from the Garden of Eden. And they lost their innocence. That, that, that's what the Bible says in Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Wherefore, as by one man, sin entered into the world and death by sin, so that death passed upon all men for all have sinned. They might say, all of us are sinners because only one man, Adam, sin. We're all plunged into sin, the whole human race. You know what? Yes, it's true because Adam is our federal head, isn't it? He represents all men in seed form, in seminal form, as the Bible says in the book of Romans. But the blessing is the second Adam, Jesus Christ, the perfect Adam. Also, if one man sin entered in the world, redemption also and forgiveness come through one man, the Lord Jesus Christ. That did not happen to the angels when they fell into sin, fall from grace, and when they rebel against God, because they don't have any federal head. They are not created in the image of God. Only man. So that's the blessing, amen? One man, sin entered into the world, but also through one man, Jesus Christ, redemption and forgiveness, reconciliation came. So that's, our, that's the first dispensation. Second, all right, is conscience. Conscience, Genesis chapter 3 all the way to chapter 8, verse 22. So this is the pre-flood, is what we call in theological forms, the antediluvial. All right? So what was man's res uh, responsibility? Man was to follow God by the dictates of his God-given conscience, written in his heart, the sense of what's right and wrong. And it's about 16, 56 years approximately. All right? So man failed. And the world was filled with wickedness, and Noah's flood came. Remember? Their imagination and wickedness in their heart are continuously. And I might add to this, just personally for me, you know, the Nephilims came, the fallen angel came and mingled with men, and it just like created havoc and sin and wickedness. So God has to judge them because they did not listen to their conscience of what's right and wrong. All right? So the flood came, Noah's flood came. And then the third... Dispensation, Genesis chapter 8, all the way to chapter 11. So it is called also the post-diluvial, all right, the human government. And it's 325 years approximately after the flood. You know, God has to restart the whole human race through Noah. Only eight people survived the global flood, all right? That's why we have Grand Canyon. It changes the whole, you know, geographical 
uh, topological uh, scenario of the world. All right? That explains, if you dig enough, all over the world you'll find billions of dead things. All right? And it's the proof of the global flood, the judgment of God. And God set forth a bow, a rainbow, isn't it? It means God will never destroy the world through water. It speaks of His mercy and judgment. And right now it's being twisted as a sign, a symbol of tolerance and acceptance, isn't it? But actually it was God's you know, judgment, all right? So whenever we see that after a rain, the rainbow speaks of God's mercy. So that, that time happened in Noah's flood. So 325 years, the human government came, uh, has to establish human government according to the standards of God. He was to scatter about on the earth. But what did they do? They stayed in that land and built the Tower of Babel. That's why God has to babble, <laughs> confuse their language because they disobey. And there was Nimrod, the one that they were leaders. Uh, they tried to build the tower not to reach heaven, but they started worshiping the sun, moon, and stars. And, and mother and son worship, like Tammuz and Semiramis, you know, son and mother worship. So it's like that's, that's the start of all those false religion, false worship uh, of God. Man failed, build the tower, God has to come down and confuse their language. That's the start of different nations and tribes. They were scattered all over the world. So that's human government, all right? The fourth dispensation is the promise or, or patriarchal. All right, Genesis chapter 12, Exodus, all the way to Exodus chapter 19, verse uh, 25. Uh, this is the time of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and the 12 tribes of Israel. God said, I will no longer deal with the world as a whole. I'm going to reach the world through one nation, Israel. I will give them my law, isn't it? And I will continue that promise of the Messiah in Genesis 3.15, amen? All the way to this law and I, I, they will preserve my word and they will supposed to be the light to the rest of the nations who are pagan. All right? So that was the promise. So God made Abraham some promises, Genesis 12, that unconditional promise, Abrahamic covenant. So with the dispensations also come the covenants. All right? There's the Adamic covenant. There's the, the Noe covenant, like that rainbow. There is that this uh, Abrahamic covenant that he will give him the land. He will bless his seeds. It will multiply. Then later on, the Davidic covenant, the, the covenant during um, the Israelites' land, and also, of course, the new covenant we have in Jesus Christ. All right, so he gave that promise. So what happened? Man's only responsibility was to stay in the promised land. But man failed again. Famine came. They went to Goshen in Egypt and stayed there and go back. And they were eventually enslaved. So do you see a pattern? Amen? There's a pattern. So the fifth dispensation is the law or legal, all right? So we have the pre-fall, we have the anti-diluvial, post-diluvial, we have the patriarchal, then also we have now the legal or the law or Israel. You can also include that. Almost lasted 1,500 years from Exodus to Christ's death, suspended in after Christ's death. Israel was again to be the light of the world. It's not that God had given up on the world, but that he chose to reach the world through Israel. That's why Genesis chapter 12, verse 3 comes. You know, It lasted almost that time. During the dispensation of the law, God, God dealt specifically with the Jewish nation through the Mosaic 
covenant or the law found in Exodus chapter 19 to 23. The dispensation involved temple worship directed by priests with further direction spoken through God's mouthpieces, the prophets. Next slide, please. Thank you. So the verse is there, that unconditional covenant with Abraham and I will bless them that bless thee and curse them that curse thee and in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. That's why America has been blessed by God through uh, more almost three centuries, amen, of its existence because America has been there for Israel. So we still stand for Israel, amen, because that's the covenant there. There's the promise, I will bless them that bless thee and every nation that comes against Israel, God will judge because Israel is still God's apple in his eye, you know, chosen nation because God used them to preserve his word, to give us the Messiah, you know, to give us the word of God. So Israel failed to be the light of the world, though, and that brings us to this message. God wanted Israel to reach the Gentiles, but Israel rebelled and even adopted other gods of the world. Then they rejected Jesus as the Messiah 2,000 years ago. They should have known from all the prophecies about him, but they were way out of tune with God. They sin against a flood of light, so to speak. And we can know God's will. Amen, brethren? We could know and we should know, but sometimes we get out of tune with God and not, don't walk in the light. We can learn a lot of things to the nation, the history of Israelite people, isn't it? It's written for example or in sample. So when Israel fails, God will move on another plan, which is the church, ecclesiastical, which is the sixth dispensation. Right, the sixth dispensation or the dispensation of grace, the church age, it began with the new covenant in Christ's blood, as he said in Luke chapter 22, verse 20. And of course, Jesus Christ is the founder of the church, Matthew 16:18. He said, You know, upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. All right, and this is the age of grace or the church age occurs between the 69th and 70th week of Daniel. If you study that, uh, Daniel 9.24. Next slide, please. It starts with the coming of the Spirit, my own opinion, on the day of Pentecost and ends with the rapture of the church. 1 Thessalonians 4. This dispensation is worldwide and includes both Jews and the Gentiles. Man's responsibility, as we all know, there's a responsibility then man fails that responsibility, the judgment in every dispensation. And it's easy. Man's responsibility during the dispensation of grace is to believe in Jesus. Amen? To believe the gospel. To be saved. To know that your sin can be forgiven. Not of your own works. But the good and the ultimate work of Christ on the cross of Calvary. is death, burial, and resurrection. Amen? To believe the Son of God. In John 3.18, you will not be condemned. If you will believe in that, in this dispensation, the Holy Spirit indwells believers as the comforter as found in John 14, verse 16 to 26. All right? So it came, the, that dispensation. So let's look at a few passages of Scripture, and we will end. All right? First in, is in Luke. It's not in the slide. Luke chapter 4, verse 16 to 20. Luke chapter 4, verse 16 to 20. Okay, this is Christ speaking here. Luke chapter 4, verse 16 to 20. This is after the temptation of Jesus Christ. And he said in verse 16, And he came to Nazareth. You know, that's where he grew up after being born in Bethlehem. 
persecuted by Herod who wants to kill him. Remember, there was those three magi, wise men, who give them gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Gold speaks of Christ's deity, royalty. Frankincense speaks of his high priestly uh, uh, ministry to us. And myrrh speaks of his death and suffering on the cross. So that gold helps them escape Egypt, isn't it? Financed them, came back, then went to Nazareth. And also the Bible says there's no honor in your own country. And Nazareth is a very poor town, but Christ chose to live there. And when we were in Israel, it's a simple town when we visited the place. But it's, you know, in the map, isn't it? Because Christ grew up there as a boy, childhood, all the way to uh, age 30 after uh, he was baptized. Then he started his ministry. Where he had been brought up, it says there, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. So this is given to all male Jewish boys. Uh, at 12 years old, they are dedicated to uh, the society, to a bar mitzvah. 12 years old, you're officially um, a man. You're given the chance, there's like a routine or a schedule, you will read the Word of God, the scroll of the Word of God, the Torah. You're given that. So that's why we have even Jewish friends right now who study Hebrew. And they're, they're, they're doing that. So it's an honor for them. They're into this as a full-pledged man. All right? So it was Christ's custom. Christ was growing as a boy, 12 years old, all the way through. That they take turns in reading the Bible, um, what we call the Torah, the scrolls of the Word of God in the synagogue on the Sabbath day. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. In verse 18. This is derived in Isaiah 61. Verse 1 and 2. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Whenever you see in your Bible, uh, capitalized, this is a reference to an Old Testament passage. So Christ is referring to an Old Testament scripture. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he had anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He had sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and the covering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book and he gave it again to the minister and sat down. And the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. Let's, let's turn to Psalms chapter, oh, Isaiah chapter 6 to 1. Verse 1 and 2. Alright? Isaiah chapter 6 to 1, verse 1 and 2. Seems like they're the same, isn't it? What Christ had quoted, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach the good tidings. And to the meek, these are the signs, the evidence of the true Messiah, that he is really anointed by God. And Christ had done this in his earthly ministry, and he was do, doing this during his time. He says, they proclaim the liberty to the Lord, uh, to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, and the day of vengeance of our God. He omitted that. Two, and the day of vengeance of our God. It's not quoted by Christ in Luke chapter 4, verse 18. So, it tells us that the first coming of Christ, He came here as our Messianic Messiah. Amen? He came here to, to save the world from its sin. He came here first and foremost to build the spiritual kingdom of God. He offered salvation not only to the Jews, but to all of us as Gentiles too. Amen? He came first to fulfill all prophecies that He is the long-awaited Savior of the world. 
That's why he was incarnated. But the second time he comes, he will do this to do vengeance of our God, the day of vengeance. That's why the day of the Lord is that days of the seven years tribulation, isn't it? The day of Christ, well, he will judge the world of its sin because of its unrepentance and unbelief upon him. All right? So, uh, you think uh, when we, we study the Bible, isn't it? We have the Old Testament and New Testament, isn't it? They said the, the Old is New Testament concealed, but the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed, isn't it? So, two testaments that differentiate basically the whole Bible, Old Testament and New Testament. And don't you know that when Christ came, He first came to save us from our sins, and it's also like a two kind of phase in His first coming. All right, He first came, and He died. He went into the heart of the earth, and he came back again and ascended up into heaven. Same thing that he's going to come back again the second time is two phases. Of course, the rapture first. He will come to save us. He will come for his saints, for his people. But after the seven years tribulation, he will come with his saints to bring judgment and establish his earthly reign. So two phases in his second coming, two phases also in his first advent, first coming into this world. So we see here that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is still part of the Old Testament until Christ came into this world and died on the cross. That's why the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 14 to 17. All right, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 14 to 17. Let's turn there. And the man had a wonderful um, study about the book of Hebrews. If you can summarize the, um, the book of Hebrews into one word, is the word better. Amen. Christ is better than the law, the Old Testament prophets, the angels, or the sacrifices. He is much, much better. He's complete. Amen? Hebrews chapter 9, verse 14 to 17. The Bible declares, um, How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? And for this cause, he is the mediator of the New Testament, and that by means of death, for, he re for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the first testament, they the, which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. For where a testament is, there must also of necessity be the death of a testator. So Christ has to die first. So the new testament, the new covenant could come into existence, the fruition. So it says there, there must be... Uh, Necessity for the death of the testator. For a testament is of force after men are dead. Otherwise, it is of no strength at all while the testator liveth. That's why Christ said in the book of Matthew, chapter 15, verse 24, when he first came, he was sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Isn't it? Because it's a fulfillment of prophecy in Jeremiah 56 that the chosen people, nation of God, had been lost like sheep. And the Messiah would come and gather them. And of course, John the Baptist came as the forerunner of Christ, isn't it? Preparing the way of the Lord, setting their hearts, you know, uh, fertile for, for Christ to come. But we know that their expectation of the Messiah is different. They were looking for a military Messiah. That Messianic. They thought one that will free them from the Roman tyranny, the rule. But Christ first came to establish that. Of course, we saw that they rejected him. You know, and, and of course, that's the blessing. The times of the Gentiles came. We were 
engrafted into the vine, so to speak. This is a, a mystery, a mystery that both Jews and Gentiles will be included in that body of Christ. So we see in Acts 7, is Israel's last chance in this dispensation to do what God has said to do? A guy named Stephen preaches to the Jews on this subject. But in Acts 7.35, the Bible says this Moses, whom they refuse. Acts chapter 7, verse 39 to 43, a wonderful preaching of Stephen and to the stiff-necked and hard-hearted uh, Jewish um, religion and people. Is stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, ye do always resist the Holy Ghost, as your fathers did, so do ye. Which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted? Acts 7, 51, 52. And they have slain them which should before of the coming of the just one. That's speaking of Jesus. Of whom ye have now been the betrayers and murderers. Wow, strong language. Isn't it? Strong preaching. Stephen, the first martyr, I think a deacon, holds them accountable and they stone him. Now that dispensation is come to a close. Almost a game over. Time's up. So let me end with this because it's already late. Amen? You know, God is a trinity, isn't it? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And when uh, uh, Israel and, of course, Herod beheaded John the Baptist, they were rejecting God the Father because he sent John. When they rejected God the Son, when they crucified him, they are rejecting Jesus Christ. When they rejected God the Holy Spirit, when they stoned Stephen. So, in baseball, three strikes, you are out. Isn't it? Game over. Now, it really gets interesting. It was prophesied that at this time, God would pour out His judgment upon Israel when they reject their Messiah. Psalms chapter 2 and Psalms 110. But in Acts 7, we move right from Israel to the church age. There doesn't appear to be judgment against Israel. How about Matthew 24? How about that uh, ask a question of the disciples, when is the end of the world? When they show Jesus Christ the temple, isn't it? And when Roman Titus came in AD 70 and demolished Jerusalem. Is that their judgment already? That's a partial. There's a long-term judgment. But this is speaking because the dispensation of Israel or the legal law isn't over yet. Their judgment is yet to come. That's why there's the tribulation. The seven years of judgment is also called Jacob's trouble. That and, and you might ask, aren't we in the age of grace, the church age? Yes. Are both dispensation, legal Israel and law, running at the same time, Israel and the church? No. God simply hit the post button and will come back to Israel at a later time. That's why we read in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 1 to 3, For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ for you Gentiles, if ye have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which is given me to you, Lord, how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery. A truth previously hidden, but now revealed. That the Gentiles was the mystery, should be fellow earth. That's us po. Tayo po yon. Amen? We as Gentiles should be fellow earth and of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. The Bible call, calls the church age, this age of grace, this dispensation of grace, a mystery that no one knew about. God stuck in this extra dispensation in between Israel's failure and their coming judgment. It was like a valley in between distant mountain peaks and the Old Testament prophets couldn't see it. But we know we are it. Amen? 
because we have the completed word of God. That's why, you know, they said the tribulational period is the seventh dispensation, and the eighth and the last one is the millennial. Messianic part is the last one in the dispensation. In the tribulation, God will get Israel's attention, and they will turn to him, and this will lead them into the millennium. The seventh or eighth final dispensation. In the meanwhile, as I close, aren't you glad we are in the dispensation of grace? Would you be saved without it? It's hard, isn't it? Don't we live in a great time period? Jesus could come at any time. Don't we live almost 2,000 years? And John, John said in John 14, 2,000 years, Christ is preparing a place for all that will believe him and will be saved. Amen? Jesus could come at any time. It's been 2,000 years already. You know, if you are not saved, you better God get saved while God's grace is still at work in this world. Everything is working in your favor, my friend. But in the tribulation of judgment, everything will be working against you because there's so much deception. It's even happening right now. You know, if you are still here and not raptured away with believers, right now the Spirit of God is speaking to you. People are praying for you. The doors of heaven are open wide. But in the next time period, which could start at any moment, it will cost you your life. How did the church age begin? It began in the heart of our Savior and still here right now. Amen? God is merciful and gracious. And aren't you glad you're part of a Bible-believing church? Amen? Let's bow our heads for prayer. Lord God Almighty, thank you for this lesson we have tonight. Thank you, Lord, that you are an all-wise, all-merciful God. Thank you, Lord, that your nature and your char character never changes. You are the same yesterday, today, and forever. You are merciful, righteous, and just, and also loving. But we thank you, Lord, that you are long-suffering and patient toward us. And we thank you, Lord, that we have the Bible, the complete Word of God, that we can read it from the front and in the back of the book, and it tells us that we have truly victory in Jesus, that the battle, the great war has been won because Christ had died on the cross, He resurrected, He ascended up into heaven, and He's coming back again. Thank you, Lord, that in our simple lives here on earth, we can give glory to Your name. We can worship You for who You are and what You have done. And our prayer is still, Lord, Lord, be merciful to our unsaved loved ones and friends. Uh, for us, Lord, who are serving you, help us, Lord, to get to know you more and be challenged each and every day to keep living in faith and walking in the light and immersing ourselves, Lord, in the knowledge of God's word, to grow in the grace and in the knowledge. And we thank you, Lord, that you're using our Bible study groups, our Bible study leaders, our teachers here in our church to impart God's knowledge and will upon our lives and we know lord that there's no perfect church and we are also limited in our ca capabilities to teach but we thank you lord when we read your word when we meditate upon it we have the holy spirit of god that can give us understanding and help us lord to do what you have already told us to do what we understand we ought to do uh, in our stewardship in our witnessing and Thank you, Lord, once again for your patience toward us. Thank you for your people that come tonight. Bless the rest of this evening. We pray for our young people here, Lord. Uh, we pray that you preserve them, that they will continue to hunger 
and thirst after you that they will realize all of us will realize that only what's done for Christ will last that heaven and earth shall pass away but God's word will not pass away that what will a man exchange for his soul because his soul can live for all eternity is the most valuable thing in this world because it's created in the image of God so help us Lord to know you in a personal way and thank you Lord for what you have reminded us tonight thank you for your dealing upon us thank you for your patience toward us give us a good night rest and traveling mercy for we ask all these things in Jesus name amen and amen God bless you all thank you for listening and uh I think the chosen Bible study group will have a quick rehearsal back there.